This is KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We also stream live at KZYX.org, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. Stay tuned now for Byline Mendocino. Mendocino County. This is Alicia Bales here uh, with you with Byline Mendocino, our bi-monthly local media roundtable. Today on Byline Mendocino, we'll be talking with journalists Matt LaFever, who reports for KMUD News and Kim Kemp, Redheaded Black Belt, and his own blog, Mendo Fever, and Jacqueline Orozco, who is the editor and publisher of Periodico Al Punto, Spanish language newspaper for Mendocino and Lake Counties. We'll be talking about the week's stories and what their priorities for coverage are. In the second half of the show, I have an interview with Peggy Berryhill, who's a Native American broadcast journalist with over 40 years as a leader in public radio, and she runs a community radio station right here in Mendocino County, KGUA in Wallala. She also hosts a daily talk show, Peggy's Place, every morning at 9 o'clock and repeated at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm looking forward to talking with Peggy about uh, her work in public radio and also uh, this phenomenal little mighty station down in Gualala called KGUA. Did you know Gualala has its own radio station? So first... Let's turn to our local stories of the week. Matt Lefevre and Jackie Orozco, thank you so much for being on Byline this morning. Thank, thank you for having us. I know um, the morning after Thanksgiving is not exactly <laughs> what everybody wants to do, get up and be on the radio, but I really appreciate you coming in and um, or Zooming in uh, from wherever you are celebrating your holiday. Thank you so much. Um, Matt, can we start with you? You've done some reporting over the last week about a, an upsetting case out in Covalo, a kidnapping and homicide. Apparently, uh, arrests have been made and two people have been charged in this uh grim crime of the kidnapping of two people uh, and then later a couple of bodies were found in Covalo fits into a larger pattern of uh, increased homicides in Mendocino County this year. So Matt, what can you tell us about the case and your coverage uh, of, of the homicides in Mendocino? Um, I, to start, I'll just give sort of a summation of the occurrence. Uh, it was November 19th on Oak Lane where a Tracy Bland and a Kevin McCartney, along with another individual, went to a home on Oak Lane and Round Valley. Uh, the, the other individual that was with Kevin and Tracy left on foot when an assault commenced and then suspected a kidnapping of Tracy and Kevin. And it was approximately four days later when a bystander found um, who is now, uh, what has now been confirmed Kevin's body on a rural road north of Covalo. Um, and I, I've yet to got, get um, confirmation from law enforcement whether Tracy's body has been confirmed um, but they're, <clears throat> they are male and female. Um, it, it, it's rocked the Round Valley community. 
Um, both Tracy and Kevin were well known. Uh, their uh, suspects associated with them have been um, booked and from conversations with the sheriff's office, the district attorney is determining currently whether charges will be filed. Uh, the suspects are well known in the Valley and they have like an assorted history of criminal exploits. So there's been um, a lot of, a lot of talk regarding their involvement. It's, it's tough to cover. Um, <clears throat> the circumstances, as you said, are grim and upsetting. Uh, I, I, from the vantage point of someone who has reported on these sort of grim crimes before, one of the things that I'm seeing sort of different is the amount of tips and information being provided by the Covalo community to law enforcement and uh, me as a journalist, I've, I've been getting a lot of um, emails and social media messages from individuals with information. Uh, I think that there's a, uh, it feels like there's been this threshold reached in Round Valley where uh, they're starting to askew the don't snitch mentality to a degree and realize the importance of collaborating with law enforcement to be able to find like uh, justice for their for their loved ones. Um, so, and uh, just me as a journalist, it's a really fine line to walk in terms of being empathetic and kind um, to families that are in in pain, while also reporting the information to the public. Um, I've I've ended up contacting family members of of the of the victims just to tell them who I am and what my intentions are uh, and to put a, put a voice to just a, the byline of Matt Lefevre. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been tough, but I I've, I've also been told by many community members how appreciative they are of the coverage. So, and since you've been getting um, sort of tips from the community, what can you tell us about, this crime itself i mean do we know anything about motives do we know what the assault was about i mean obviously violence doesn't really have any rational reason but do we know what do we know about the background what led to this crime um my understanding is tracy and kevin and this is something both uh, members of these families own as part of the reality of their children and loved ones, there there was some involvement in drug culture, um, some involvement in um, some sort of robbery potentially, um, and maybe this was a or a uh, retaliatory act because of perceived wrongs. This is speculation. I've also heard other motives thrown about, and that's where I I'm I'm, I'm hesitant to go down the road of speculation because they i also don't want to step on the toes of law enforcement who are in the process of investigating right so that's that's just like a fine line i walk and collaborating with law enforcement about these this story because i don't you know sometimes journalists are told information from tipsters that um, law enforcement doesn't want public yet because it could sort of 
uh, alter the way their investigation is going. So, uh, well, uh, so let's kind of let's kind of zoom back then into the big picture. I know you've been covering um, violence in Kovalo for all year, basically. Can you can you give us a sort of a big picture, maybe a, a, a general timeline of of what we've seen out there? It sounds like things have just been really, really intense. Um, from my vantage point, uh, I think it's first important to note that the crime and violence is associated with a small portion of the population, and the overwhelming majority of Kovalo and Round Valley residents are salt-of-the-earth, salt kind, hardworking people trying to make their reality better. Um, Round Valley, like any Native American reservation, is dogged with poverty, uh, dogged with a lack of opportunity. Um, you've heard Sheriff Kendall speak to the uh, codependent, toxic relationship that some Native American airship land has with drug-growing cartels and drug-growing organizations. Um, a member of the Round Valley tribe might have some acres allotted to them, and they might be down and out economically. And a drug dealer says, hey, we'll give you 10 grand to be able to use your land. Um, whether that 10 grand actually manifests is another story and often is how violence um, manifests because uh, some of these, some of these kind of bad actors, drug growing cartels um, use violence rather than, you know, pay. Um, so I, 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 from my vantage point, I've seen a lot of violence associated with those um, drug industries that have taken root that Sheriff Kendall and Mendocino County Sheriff's offices, you know, they've kind of pledged uh, a war. Uh, I, Sheriff Kendall's characterized that in conversations with me and I think the public, that there's a war against these cartels and it, it causes a lot of um, violence within that community. And do we think that the the murder of McCartney and Bland are part is, is part of this? From where I am at, and what I have heard, it doesn't seem like this is actually associated with the cartels. Um, I do think it has drug world aspects to it, um, but not connected specifically to those cartels. Um, so the cartel characterization comes from like a 30,000 foot view on trends of crime in the Valley, the bland and McCartney circumstances, just sort of a microcosm, um, in, in that world. All right. And we expect, um, so two people have been arrested and charged. Do we expect to see them in court in the next few days? Um, we expect to see criminal complaints issued by the district attorney's office. They're required to do so within 48 hours of the charges. The charges were published um, on Wednesday. I am breaking the story now. It's really not pub it's, it's public record if anyone's looking at the booking logs as much as I am. Another individual has been given those same charges on the Mendocino County Sheriff booking logs. So I expect that individual um, might be lumped in into this group of individuals that are involved in Bland and McCartney's homicide. And so I, I, I'm comfortable saying it looks like there are three suspects currently in custody. 
I'm putting together a piece on that now. I haven't gotten con- that confirmation from Public Information Officer Van Panton from the Sheriff's Office, but the charges that this individual has listed on the booking logs completely mirror the other individual's charges. Um, so uh, I'm waiting for confirmation from that. And then because of the holiday, the district attorney's office has allotted extra time to be able to file the criminal complaint. And the criminal complaint often provides a little more clarity on what these suspects are um, thought to be involved in. And that I think will kind of free us from the world of speculation and start understanding what investigators have gathered in their investigation of the crimes. All right. Thank you for that. Um, let's turn now to another big story this week. Uh, the local elections office certified our local election results. Jackie, uh, let's turn to you, Jackie Orozco of Periodico El Punto. Um, any surprises in the local election results? What issues were important to your readers? Um, for me, uh, there were there were no surprises in in this election, because uh, with these all movements about to on the urgent need of uh, see people, I mean women in power, and and, and people of color in power, uh, there was no surprise for me. For example, in the city council, Ukiah uh, city council race. Yes, in the city council race, so there was no surprise, and uh, and yeah, so it was a um, good turnout of votes, but not the amount of votes that we expected, because uh, I mean the percentage of the votes uh, was lower that we predicted or we expected. And uh, and we we saw in this election more about uh, uh, the Latino vote, and uh, and but in this election, especially in the in the local election, I saw misinformation and lack of information, uh, not from the candidates, but from the but from the voters. Because uh, in in some uh, surveys or uh, research that I did with 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 the people with the community in 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 my case with with the Latino community, it was like uh, there they they didn't know the the candidates, they didn't know the platforms, and uh, and uh, I participated in in some phone bankings and. People didn't know the candidates uh, about the, the platform, their stance, and they simply uh, choose. Uh, they voted for for people without without um, knowing about about them. Uh huh. And you're talking about the Ukiah City Council race in particular. Uh, yes, the Ukiah City Council in particular, because um, <laughs> I live in Ukiah. And it's uh, it's more about um, about this. 
Uh-huh. So it's interesting about local elections where we uh, may know very much about the Senate race going on in Georgia. And we know, you know, details about all of the candidates. We can name who they are. Uh, but locally, without a really well funded and organized local media, how are you supposed to find out about these local races? I mean, even the, you know, the, the Mendocino City race, uh, for, for their, one of the boards there was, you know, really local locally significant, but we didn't hear much about it countywide. And as local media, I feel like we have an important role to play there. So how did you go about trying to inform Latino voters, in particular Spanish-speaking voters, about the different choices they had in this election? Um, Yeah, it's a a really um, hard task for, for for us. And, uh, and for example, with the periodical Al Punto, uh, we don't really focus on, on politics. We try to educate people, but I think this is an important topic to educate our, our audience, uh, for, for next election. And, uh, and I think, uh, we as, as, as media, we need to, Maybe we need to focus more about to educate better our our audiences, and also um, to we we can do a, an important role to motivate people uh, to vote for next elections, and uh, and I think uh, I uh, for example uh, they the majority of the voters they know who were the presidential uh, candidates. And maybe they know about the, a little bit about the propositions because, uh, I mean, uh, for those propositions where, I mean, they uh, they were announced on TV or on radio spots, uh, they, they knew about a little bit about the major ones uh, but not for all of the propositions or for all the uh, m- mailers that we receive in our mailbox. They, they uh, maybe they they knew about propositions, but sometimes it's not the correct information, or there are not the um, good choices that I mean. Uh, that, that that they have received. So I yeah. I think we need to we need to do more about uh, inform. Um, I mean all the community. I mean Latinos, no Latinos, or or people of color, and uh, and and I think we we need to do better for next election. I wonder if it's also a matter of covering the city council city council issues as, you know, in non-election years as well so that uh, people have a, a really strong sense of what the issues are and what's at stake in the different um in the different or uh, governmental bodies. I mean, what kinds of issues are they really dealing with? And I think that's too that's one of the casualties of a well-funded local media. Um, ecosystem is that you just don't have the resources to do like a city council beat, you know? Right. Yes. And, uh, and when, when COVID, when COVID started in our, in, in our county, um, the, before, before that, not so much people watched it at the, the borough supervisors meetings. 
And now uh, uh, the board supervisors meeting had a yeah, good audience through Facebook or through YouTube. And for for city council, in this case, for Ukiah city council meetings, um, no one is in there. Uh, so I have been attending the last the last uh, Ukiah city councils to um, as my role as an editor of the of the Spanish newspaper to see what news or what uh, actions are taking in in our in our Ukiah uh, city of Ukiah and uh, and I don't see. I don't see so much people in there. Just the just the panelists or or the or the city council members, but uh, no one from the public is in there, and they are discussing important. Pe- I mean, important uh, actions in and that can affect. I mean, our city, and uh, and I and I will encourage to to attend these these uh, these. Uh, uh, council meetings. I mean, because we need to inform people that what's going on in in our little towns, and not just only in Ukiah, in every single town. Yeah, it's just that Ukiah was the one race in this election that ha- actually had more candidates than seats. In the other city council races, there they didn't even have enough candidates uh, to have a competitive election. So yeah, it seems like there's a little lack of interest in what's happening on the city government government level here in our community. Or you know maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it's just people aren't able to run for office right now. But I don't know. <laughs> yes, you are right. <laughs> uh, Matt Lefevre, any comments about the election results? Anything surprising or um, what was your reaction? Yeah. Um, first off, I I, uh, I I think local government has perennial, perennially been dogged with issues of, of, of engagement from the public. Um, but... There's something about COVID-19 that has people going to more school board meetings, more COVID-19 updates, interested in how local government and its machinations are interacting with a global pandemic. Um, I, I've just seen, I was like looking at some analytics of County of Mendocino YouTube, because you can do that on YouTube um, sites, and you could see the number of engagements from the public and views has just gone up dramatically in the year of 2020 and the pandemic. So I don't know. It's maybe, maybe something like a pandemic demonstrates to a community that it's, uh, it's time to see how our, uh, how our powers that be are, are handling, um, dilemmas, uh, I do want to. I do want to bring up. I think a surprise also in the Ukiah City Council race um, uh, that would be the third place um, winner uh, or first. There were only two seats available, but the third place individual is Jenny Kimbler, who um, was sort of ensconced in a little controversy after a statement she put out on her Facebook page involving. Um, the, the running over of Black Lives Matter protesters and sort of, she sort of p- positioned herself as, uh, as a, um, sort of President Trump supporter candidate. Um, yes, I think she, she advocated shooting yeah. protesters and she said, light them up. 
And this is the person yeah, who yeah. got the third the third highest vote in Ukiah in the city council race. Was was I agree? That, mm-hmm. Remarkable. <laughs> the language was um, bombastic <laughs> for sure. Um, my understanding is she's a salt of the earth gal who works really hard in the community, um, and in that way, you know, I I think there's something to Jackie's analysis that this was a vote for uh, women you know there's a change agent happening in our nation and i think that came to roost in our local community and i I think that might speak to it um and i think it also might come back to the lack of um, resources local media has to really dig into each candidate's statements and, and, and and political belief structures um maybe maybe those ideas could have been released to the public in a more metered way. Uh, I wrote an article about Kimbler's statement, and I spoke with Kimbler, and um, I, I found I found it hard to report on neutrally because the comments were so um, bombastic, and that they used some language that was a little intense. Um, I tried to do a fair job as much as I could, but I, th- that one, a lot of people have expressed surprise. And I think it sh- is, should humble any, you know, active um, Democrat in our community that, um, you know, po- po- politics in Mendocino County are not a monolith. Mm-hmm. And I think yep. the idea of compromise and understanding each other is super necessary. And I, that vote demonstrates that to me. We can't assume nah, those are, those are other people. No, those are our people. Those are our, those are our neighbors. City women. Well, um, yep. this is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales in the, on the line with Jackie Orozco from Periodico El Punto and Matt Lefever from Mendo Fever, K-Mud News and Redheaded Black Belt. Um, let's, let's kind of in our last few minutes here talk about the other huge story, uh, which is the COVID surge locally and of course nationally. Um, I'd love to know, both of you have been covering COVID since the very beginning, and you're both on the, the county press conferences, which, Matt, as you said, are uh, are widely watched now by the community. And um, I think, yeah, there has been much more communication opened up since the COVID pandemic uh, began with people really wanting to know what the, at the county level, at least, what, um, what our government is doing. Uh, and they have been making themselves available for these kind of weekly or biweekly press conferences which, by the way, won't be happening today because of the Thanksgiving holiday. There won't be um, a, a live stream this afternoon. So um, let's start with you, Jackie, uh, real quick. What have you been looking at with the surge? How have you been making sure that your readers um, are informed? Um, what's most important for people to know? Well, um, the county um, has uh, on, um, now... I, I um, is doing a yeah, better job uh, with uh, informing uh, in Spanish to the Latino community who are monolingual. Um, they hire a uh, translator, and there's a simultaneous translation in Spanish of, of the conference. But unfortunately, it's in YouTube, just in YouTube, and uh, and and for for these uh it's it's a really good idea to have this this conference in youtube and it's uh it's all in spanish but uh but maybe it's it's hard to reach in that way our 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 population 
So uh, now they are doing uh, bilingual posts on social media, on Facebook, that um, I think uh, most people uh, who can, who only speak Spanish can read better those, those posts that are bilingual than watching a media video. Uh, we try to uh, share uh, the video uh, of the conference, uh, but it's a little bit tricky for for our, I mean, for for our um, Latino community because uh, maybe they don't they don't think that they there's a, a link, so they are not familiar with with this process. So, but I I want to figure out what else can we do for in order to inform better. We are, I mean, sometimes uh, because of my work, I can't participate in the, in the press conference, but I try to attend or I, uh, I listen and, and then I inform to, to people what, what, what is happening uh, regarding COVID-19. All right. And just for the last word here, Matt Lefevre, what about you? Uh, what, how are you covering COVID uh, as the surge hits Mendocino County? Um, my most recent interest actually has been in the curfew, um, mandate as per governor Gavin Newsom and local law enforcement's enforcement slash, um, focus on education rather than enforce a curfew. Um, we saw that in local man, uh, local sheriff, Matt Kendall, Humboldt County's William Hansel has made a statement and Trinity County's, uh, um, Tim Saxon. Um, and uh, you know, that's, to me, that's an essential question behind the entire COVID-19 epidemic is how are these measures being implemented? And I think the more and more I've dug, the more and more I've heard responses from our law enforcement officials is most of these pandemic protocols are suggested best practices that um, we need to follow to ensure the health and safety of our fellow men, in the words of Sheriff Kendall. So I, I think the interplay between law enforcement and these protocols has been a really interesting little vein that I've been covering a lot. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our for our local media roundtable this week. Jackie Orozco from Periodico El Punto and Matt Lefevre from Mendo Fever, K-Mud News and Redheaded Black Belt. Thank you so much for participating. I hope to talk with you again real soon. And just let us know briefly, um, how can people follow your coverage? Mendofever.com. Okay. And periodicoalpunto.com okay. or our Facebook page. Oh, thank you very much. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Peggy Berryhill from KGUA in Guadalajara, California. Stay tuned. People died on the news tonight But not so many cried at the devil's side Well, Mama said, it's just make-believe You can't believe everything you see So baby, close your eyes to the lullaby
welcome back. This is Byline Mendocino here on KZYX. I'm your host, Alicia Bales, and I come to you every other Friday morning at 9 to focus on local journalism and the stories happening here in Mendocino County. Uh, my next guest is Peggy Berryhill. She's a Native American broadcast journalist with over 40 years as a leader in, in public radio. She started out at KPFA in Berkeley, including time as program director there, and has worked with NPR in Washington, D.C., KALW in San Francisco and KUNM in Albuquerque. Now she runs a community radio station right here in Mendocino County, KGUA in Wallala, and hosts a daily local talk show, Peggy's Place, every morning at 9 a.m. and repeating at 1 p.m. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you so much for being here. Well, good day. How are you doing? Good day. Pretty good. A little bit of post-Thanksgiving, I don't know, brain fog. <laughs> <laughs> What it, I, I can never remember what that thing is called from the turkey that does that to oh, us. tryptophan. Uh, yes, tryptophan. Yes. Well, we were very mild about eating yesterday, but it was a great time. And I like everybody, you know, everybody's doing tiny bubbles this year. <laughs> and uh, that was the, the, you know, that was such a change for for all of us. And uh, But it seems like at least everybody I know obeyed the rules and uh, that makes me happy so uh that that was good news uh coming on uh as your uh guests were talking about the surge in covid here in mendocino yeah. county which is scary for sure and if we can do something simple like have a small meal <laughs> for the holiday that's you know that's good actually we had we had a very large meal because we couldn't get a small turkey so i think i cooked the largest right. turkey i've ever cooked but everything turned out well we just have a tryptophan hang hangover this morning <laughs> but peggy um, All right you have been in public radio for almost as long as i've been alive i mean you've been doing it Gee, you've seen you. i'm sorry um you have seen i mean i just you've seen it you've seen it germinate you've seen it grow you've seen it change but how did you it seems like radio people kind of come to radio and then it is a lifelong sort of passion so how did you start radio how did you get involved uh yeah i think it was right after the dinosaurs and, <laughs> and wire wire recording uh, you know wax recordings uh you know there is uh something about us long timers that radio just is part of the blood uh the ability to communicate but i, I got in it quite by accident uh i uh, journalism has just been in my blood I could always, uh, had I known that the voice and, and writing together meant something, uh, I, I might have been in this even longer. But anyway, to make, a, to make a long story short, in the 70s, I was writing for a newspaper in Berkeley called Indígena. We were the only newspaper of its kind that was in English and Spanish and reporting on Indians in Brazil and Ecuador and uh, Peru. Uh, and this was before the term rainforest came about. Uh, and and we were already writing about what was happening to uh, Indians in those countries and what it was like for them because uh, few people realize that in the 70s you could still buy Indian hunting licenses in Peru and in Uruguay and um, it it was horrendous and unlike tribes in this nation there are no tribes in the southern hemisphere or Mexico where they will ever have sovereignty. So we're in a very different position. Thank you, Constitution. One of the things that was done for us, and um, 
but so that's how I got started. And at some point, uh, I went, uh, was at UC Berkeley for about a quarter of a short semester, was not prepared for Berkeley. But anyway, somebody said to me, hey, there's this show at KPFA uh, and nobody's doing it. Why don't you take it over? And I didn't know anything about it. And I still don't know why they thought I should be on it. But um, and it went from there. I said, sure, I'll try it out for three weeks. And it became my passion. I And I've always loved uh, gadgets, as they, we said back then. So I just naturally found a way uh, to bring news about and from the Native community. And, and I guess there's also another very short, I'll try and keep this short, but I remember when I was like five, um, there was this Davy Crockett series on Walt Disney. And at one point, Walt, uh, Davy Crockett fights with what is my tribe. This is historically true. But they had us dressed in really stupid-looking planes clothes and, you know, the big circles on the face and all of that kind of stuff. And, of course, he fought several of our male members then fought, you know, with one hand and one. And I was with my dad, and I said, Dad, why are they making us look so stupid? Why don't they make Indians look so bad? And uh, he, he, he felt because of the era he was raised in. He didn't speak English till he was 12, and he was beaten in Oklahoma. Bad scene. Anyway, uh, he just felt that people didn't care about Indians. And at that point, as five years old, I thought, if I can ever do anything to change the image of Indians, I will. And so I guess that's why I became a journalist. And when I went on the air, I realized, wow, we can do something to change the stereotypes of Indians. And guess what? 40 years later, we still have the stereotypes. We're still the drunks. We're the casino Indians now. We're the radicals, you know. And understanding sovereignty, uh, it's still a mystery to people. And on Thanksgiving, you know, people are still don't get the true story uh, of Thanksgiving, even though there's a lot more education. So here I am, still doing it. Uh, and yes, I, I'm passionate about radio, uh, love what it can do for communities. And uh, that's in a nutshell, my story. Well, um, KGUA is a station that you started in Wallala. Um, can, and, and part of the mission of KGUA is to, to focus on Native American stories, right? Right, right. Well, absolutely. And uh, as a result of that, on uh, Peggy's Place, once a month, we have Eric Wilder, who's a Kashaya uh, Pomo. He's an artist. He's an elder. He's a former tribal chairman. Uh, he's eloquent. He's a singer. And he and I just sit and talk. We don't necessarily have a topic. We just call it all things Indian off the air. And we just sit and people listen to us. And we just talk openly and honestly. Uh, we don't try to be neutral. We tell the truth as Eric sees it, as he's grown up here in, in Mendocino County, still full of racism. People in Mendocino and particularly in Gualala are still shocked to find out that Richard Oakes was killed at Kashaya and the white men who killed him were never charged. His wife is buried in one of the local cemeteries. And people are shocked to learn about the racism that still exists right here in their own backyard. Uh, you, you mentioned in your previous interview about a someone running for city council who was sort of a trumper. But I think uh, 
if you're a person of color, for sure, you know that that element still exists. And uh, under President Trump, it came back to the surface. Uh, probably very few people know that in the uh, 70s uh, or early 80s, there was uh, Mendocino County had the uh, the uh, was the headquarters for the American Nazi Party. Uh, I think Frontline or something like that did a documentary about it. So it's here. It hasn't gone away. It's always been here. Uh, but, you know, we have, um, we have much better people these days. But nevertheless, how we change that, I don't know. And the, the question that I'm always asking is, why is it up to us to change the story? Why do we have to be the one? Why do women have to do it? Why do Democrats have to be the one that are trying to open those bridges? You know, the bridges, a bridge goes two ways. So right. uh, it's here anyway. And it's who are so here. often blamed for the for the failure to defeat it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Well, the journey from KPFA in Berkeley, which is a, a a huge cultural icon in Berkeley for people who have spent time living in Berkeley, which I have too, um, to Gualala and your own radio station. Can you talk about the birth of KGUA and what what you were trying to <laughs> trying to accomplish <laughs> with it? Oh my gosh, I, I think it was another point of losing my mind. <laughs> By the way, I want I, I want to make a correction. KGUA serves Kashaya, which is in Sonoma County. Okay, but we also serve the Bukea, which is in Manchester, better known as Point Arena Manchester Tribe, and that is part of the mission, uh, of course. Um, well. It, I'll be honest about it. I never, ever wanted to be a general manager, let a radio station, rent a station. I've been a documentary producer for decades and long form documentaries. I mean, we used to do hour documentaries and we did half hour documentaries. And today documentaries are more like 90 seconds or now people are podcasting. Um, but working with editors and, and other journalists and telling stories, that was how I started, and as I said, really changing the image, I hoped, of Native Americans. Uh, so I was lucky enough to work at NPR. I've worked with two Smithsonian Zooms. So I'm really working with people who are experts in their fields of study or technology. And I, I think it's a, I fell in love when I, I worked at KPFA. I loved live radio. I loved doing a show called Living on Indian Time. Uh, when I went to, uh, from there after going to NPR, it, and I left NPR on my own, by the way. I probably would have could have stayed there and retired, but I didn't. And a lot of people were surprised I didn't stay. But uh, it's a network, and you are isolated. You're in Washington, D.C. I was there in the Carter years. You could get into the White House in three minutes if you were from NPR. I mean, boom. Uh, something happening, uh, Peggy, you want to go? Yeah, I do. Let me in. <laughs> so I got, you could get in like that. So it was a different era uh, of relationships with press. Uh, but I missed the local. Like, you have your show, I have my show. Local is what matters. Local is what radio is really all about. And so uh, I have an organization, uh, Native Media Resource Center, in which we produced uh, documentaries, worked with tribes, did a ton of training, 
And so when the time came that uh, we could start a radio station, we uh, I had a large board, and they all said, go for it. And so we did, and it was something, uh, honestly, I'd never uh, thought about, but we literally built the station from the ground up. We literally had to hire people to dig that big hole. We got money from the government. Of course, we couldn't do this on our own. No, we don't have any casino money, uh, and we're not rich. <laughs> we're just a little tiny nonprofit. And we had to do all of that. And with the money we got from the government, we put oh, pretty close to $200,000 right back into the Guala community with contractors to get it all built. And then we had to fill the airwaves. Right. And I was like, oh, Let my God. Let the fun begin. <laughs> what do we do? What do we do here? And, and I talked to uh, my friend, uh, uh, Ugo Morales of Radio Bilingue, and he said, Peggy, you can do anything you want. And I was like, wow, I, I really can. And, and I'm kind of a, from that era when community, uh, the community radio, at, which I, you know, really earned, uh, uh, learned from in Berkeley, but also public radio in the earlier days had a lot more, let's call them educational shows. Right. And there's a lot that you don't hear on NPR stations. Your station is diverse and that's fantastic. Um, so I wanted something in between and something that would be easier to manage since it was me just me for pretty much eight nine years right when did and, you start kgua uh 11 years ago oh, wow. 11 years ago and uh i i also want to add i had cancer twice during the when we started building the station and we went on the air and uh so i would kind of just nap in between getting up and making station ids and in the early days everything came in on cds we right. didn't have sound files so i'd have to get up and announce something and push a cd and go back to sleep and had people watching over me but um okay now anyway, that is commitment that that's what i'm talking not, about with the, the radio people <laughs> you know, it's like what is that that you would do I, I, that you would do that yeah, I have no idea. I honestly, I often do look back at the, this whole 40 years path and we keep doing it and finding new ways to do it. And uh, I still, when I can, go out on the field and do uh, interviews. And uh, I've done, uh, on Peggy's Place, well over, I don't know, 3,000 interviews in 11 years easily. And we're still trying to figure out how we can get outside the studios more. <laughs> how do we get the mics out there? How do we, you know, how do we expand our media presence these days? So uh, it's, uh, I don't know what it is, uh, uh, Lisa, <laughs> but I, I have a feeling it might be in year two. It's, it's, a, it's a disease, I will say, radio, and we all uh, still do it and uh, keep doing it, uh, although I I wouldn't mind slowing down a bit. Yeah, well, and that begs the question about uh, the next generation of, of radio producers. How do we spread <laughs> the disease of radio to a new generation? Uh. Let me reintroduce you real quick. This is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales, and my guest this morning is Peggy Berryhill, who is the uh, the general manager of KGUA in Wallala, a very micro-local station that broadcasts into Sonoma County as well. Uh, and we're just so delighted that there's another community station here in Mendocino County. So I definitely wanted to talk with you 
Um, could you talk a little bit more about, you said, um, I can do anything I want. Like, how do you make those decisions about what, now that you have a station, right, how do you mm-hmm. fill those airwaves? What is your priority? And, uh, you know, how do you think about how to serve the community and, and community engagement and, and what the station is is for? Well, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, let's take breaking news politics as we've had over the past few years. Um, when something, when there have been hearings uh, at in the Senate, uh, I've decided that I can just carry those live. And yes, NPR is carrying them. And sometimes I, I, I piggyback off of an NPR or MSNBC or PBS, you know, uh, coverage, but we'll sit there old school. Uh, and now I do have a great a few volunteers, great volunteers, also Leanne Lindsay, who works a lot. And we will sit there and do it the old fashioned way and play those hearings. And as a journalist, you know, take the notes, identify people, and do the recaps. That kind of thing I love. It's very hard. But I feel like bringing that to our audience, yes, they can get it other places, but to hear their own local people talking about it, I think is important. Um, That kind of thing. Uh, I think that there, uh, I have an 11 o'clock strip Monday through Friday, which features uh, sustainable living and science. You know, Dr. Michio Kaku and big picture science and living on Earth and climate one and uh, Tech Nation. Uh, I love science. I think those shows are great shows. They are so informative, well-hosted. So that's another thing. What did I want to bring to people? I think the shows that they weren't getting on anymore on the main, uh, the larger mainstream NPR stations. A variety of news shows at 5 o'clock. Those are harder to find. We don't have... Uh, a daily if we're not an npr station we're not carrying npr or uh, i mean all things considered a morning edition we don't need to we've got you carrying it uh, here and then we've got kqed carrying it so we don't need to do that but i wanted to find other sources of news and so we do play a variety of one hour news shows in those spots and some people some listen to some don't but they're uh, like um, inside Europe or Tom Hartman, uh, one hour or uh, Laura Flanders. I mean, a variety of things. God, there's just so many different producers out there on the national scale producing programming. Exactly. Exactly. There are with wonderful perspectives uh, or th- they give you things to think about. Uh, the one thing, though, when we also I come from a community organizing background. So the one thing we did before we started the station, we held community meetings all over the uh, uh, primarily Gwalala and Sonoma, Northern Sonoma County. And we said, what do you want to hear? We're coming. And the number one requested show, probably won't surprise you, is Democracy Now! I was going to ask. And they, and they wanted it at 8 in the morning. <laughs> so we do that. We do that. Uh, and uh, people, you know, the, the Amy Goodman and her crew do an amazing job. I don't always agree with them, just like I don't always agree with anybody, but that's okay. You know, that's okay. We're not here to put out the point of view that we all agree with. Right. Uh, like I said, I don't, I don't believe in neutrality, and I don't believe in this, this, this journalistic meme. I'm calling it a meme of bias. You know, it exists. It absolutely exists, and that's the other thing that has driven me as a woman, as a 
person of color and as a native producer because you don't hear our perspectives. And uh, thank goodness we do now have a, a native network of which I was uh, a major player in making sure that happened. We have 68 native radio stations. And again, I was a major player. When I started, there were three native stations and three independent producers on a national level. But get back to the question of where the independent producers, where those other volunteers, I don't know. Oh, uh, you mean the, the generation coming up? Yeah. Right. The yeah, question I, of, uh, of, that's uh, a question outreach. for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think about it a lot. I think about the question. Uh, well, right now, of course, we had started doing uh, quarterly trainings out in the community to uh, just be a point of contact for people mm-hmm. who maybe had had that inkling that they want to do radio and give them a place to come and meet and, and, and learn a little bit about how to do it. But we haven't been able to do that since COVID. So I do. I'm racking my brain about how to make these skills accessible to the larger community and, and have a, a, a point of entry where people can can really get involved i'm I'm starting to think about uh mentorship and how you know for especially for some of our programmers who've been at it for decades you know they just are an incredible wealth of skill and how do we disseminate that into a larger group of folks in the community but for you too as as somebody who wanting to uh focus and give a platform and microphone to native communities, um, the challenge of native communities locally wanting to be on the air is something that, uh, that is a hard question. You know, and that hasn't changed. It's, uh, when I became, a uh, independent radio producer and, uh, as we've said over and over, I absolutely love what we do, uh, with our journalism, I thought, oh, I'm going to teach everyone. We're going to have armies of uh, women and people of color and Indians, and we're all going to be producing. And I found out, sadly, there are not that many people that have that passion. We can teach the skills, uh, and I have trained a lot of people, hundreds of people over the years, and only a few if uh, may still be around and doing it, because it does. you're like an artist. In, in a lot of ways, it takes that passion, it takes that vision, it takes that dedication. Um, I, I learned early on uh, as a program director that there were two kinds of people, and you probably will understand what I when I say this, but there are people who want to say something, and there are people who have something to say. And that is what we want to encourage are the people who have something to say and want to take the time to learn the skills. Now, it's a great time for technology. I mean, truly, it doesn't take all the stuff that we used to have to learn how to do to sound good. But you still need the good writing skills. You still need facts. Uh, you know, I mean, you, journalism counts. Journalism yeah. matters. And having good editors, uh, all of that. So it's not just, uh, in my opinion, just about the individual. And that's what we're getting a lot more is, oh, I have something I want to say, and here's my half hour or 43 minutes or hour and 20 whatever podcast uh, for you. So there's, there is a lot uh, out there that people can pick. But finding factual, informative, 
information is still, I think, uh, at, a, at a premium to find. Yeah, really. So d- dependable, uh, authoritative, that you can really uh, believe. That's why I like yes. the, the idea of the media diet, right? To, to just consume media or, you know, look at and listen to media that um, is from a range of perspectives, you know, I don't love reading the Washington Post or the New York Times, but I do sometimes just to see what sort of the, the big story that, that people are, are talking about and compare it to, you know, other more investigative stories and, you know, also the different sort of scale when you're looking at something close and micro local versus something national. You know, it's just important to to compare and contrast and use your critical thinking to find out where your uh, where your point of view really lies. But um, we just have a couple of minutes left, Peggy. So I, I want to thank you again for, for coming on KZYX this morning. Um, and I wonder, you know, if there's anything you want to leave listeners with before we say goodbye. <laughs> well, uh, support your local community radio stations. Giving Tuesday is coming up, and that means, you know, s- please uh, share your pennies, your dollars with, uh, I will say, KZYX, KGUA, KWMR down in West Marin. We are all struggling. Uh, KGUA is all volunteers, so, uh, uh, you know, I will put that out there. We also do uh, Air Pocket. We stream. We have all kinds of things. But, you know, I just want to go back to the, what you're talking about, a media diet. Uh, I, I, You mentioned earlier on your interviews today about the lack of funding. Independent media does not get funded. Only very few. And I, I used to sit on funding panels at the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The kind of programs that get funded are wonderful, but the kind of programs that smaller community needs don't get funded are news shows. We need that. News is very expensive and hard to do. Yes. Um, so I think it's good. Like you said, read the Post, read the Times. My God, the most great, greatest writers, you know, uh, again, whether I agree with their opinions or not, but the writing, the the money they have to do the research, phenomenal. When we have a little bit of money to do research on a story, we can do something that nobody else can do because nobody else knows our community like we do. Nobody has the trust, I hope, you know, uh, that we have, that people will yeah. trust us to tell their stories and to put yeah. them out there properly. So uh, I just love radio. I love all of us. I'm so glad to say that uh, KZYX and KGUA and KWMR are doing what they can to support each other. And I could talk forever about radio. Well, we are lucky to have you here in the community. And uh, your website, again, is KGUA.org. Absolutely. All right, Peggy Berryhill, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, come back. Let's talk about radio some more. <laughs> Let's do that, Alicia. I, I've enjoyed it, and I like your byline program very much. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot.